Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and you're all around hiring guru. And you know, I have just got the best life because I get to meet so many fabulous people and bring those conversations to you each week. So today is no different. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Terry Jack, founder of Inspired Training Institute, speaker, coach, and author. She's got a lot going on. Jackie is, um, Terry is the author of Is This a Lousy Job or Is It Me? A Real Life Guide for Achieving Success at Work. Terry strives to help executives and business owners by guiding the growth of their character as a foundation for increased leadership effectiveness and teamwork. So welcome to the show, Terry. Well, thank you, Casey. It's great to see you. I know, again. <laughs> again. <laughs> so I always like to start the show with sharing with our audience how we got connected. So pop quiz. Good. Yeah. How did we get connected? Was that to Lori Ames? Was that yes. how we were connected? Yes. Okay. I, was, yeah. I couldn't remember. I remember telling you you had to meet Pilar. And you told me I had to meet a gentleman, and I, his name escapes me right now, Fergie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did yeah. you? So Scott Ferguson. Yeah. yeah, we're in touch. Yeah, yep. yep. So we're in touch. We're all hooked up. And then you did talk to Pilar. So we've done our networking effectively, I'd it say. Is, you know, and that's what, and I just attended a networking event this morning. It's the one that I, you know, devote most of my time to. And it is just amazing to me when you start tracing the web of connections how people get connected. And also, it seems like you get connected at just the right time, just when you're supposed to. Oh, completely agree with you. I yeah. completely agree. I have a really cute networking story. It's off topic for the podcast, but uh, a friend of ours many years ago referred us to a floor installer and we've used him to remodel at our house. We're now building a new house, or what we're calling it our retirement house, um, a few miles north of where we live now on a little more land. And we had introduced that floor installer to our designer back then. Well, our designer has since introduced him to the world and his business has more than quadrupled wow. in the last four years. So he's coming to do our flooring at our new home at a ridiculously reduced price as a thank you. That, <laughs> a practical use of networking. <laughs> that is, and how long ago was it that you met him? Um, it probably the first time was 2016. Okay. And then he came into the remodel in 2018. That is amazing. And and so I think here, another lesson to this is it takes time. You know, you it can't time. expect fruit from the first meeting. Yeah. It can happen. Yeah. It can. And then what's interesting is when you are a generous networker, my mind is, you know what? But Rich and Jill referred him to us. And we're getting the benefits. So, you know, we'll take Rich and Jill out to eat and thank them. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yep. I think you need to be thoughtful and generous in your networking and remember where the connections came from as well as where they're going. 
especially if you benefit from them. So Um, one little tip, and I'm sure you probably already know this, but maybe for our audience is I keep a networking notebook with me at all times. Oh, good idea. And so I write down the name of the person, um, the date and who introduced me to them. Oh, good. I really should do that. Yeah, it's so helpful. Do you so know how helpful. many I've probably forgotten over the years? My mm-hmm. Lord. I'm going to have to do some sort of excavation work to start this notebook. <laughs> it's <laughs> just so helpful. So helpful. Yeah, and especially when you're meeting idea. a lot of people um, and then somebody will reach out to you later. And you may not remember them if you only talk to them for 30 minutes. Okay. And that's okay. Give yourself some grace. But if you have that little notebook, you can go back and look. And so, and Absolutely. read your notes. So, yes, oh, that's a great idea, especially for people starting their career. I mean, maybe especially for people older as our memory starts to fade, but <laughs> especially people younger in their careers, what a great habit to get into. And what an incredible kind of documentation mm-hmm. of your journey. That's Absolutely. just really an idea. That's a, another it, book idea. Oh, yeah. Think of it as the little mm-hmm. black book of networking. I like it. Mm, I don't know about the connotations of a little black book, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't so confuse it with your other little black book of dating. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So tell us a little bit about Inspired Training Institute and how it has grown since you launched, launched it in 2003. Well, in 2003, it started out with me in my spare bedroom. And uh, it was me on my own for a couple of years, as many startups are. And within five years, that was five of us, not in my spare bedroom anymore. We had offices <laughs> and we had over 40 clients and we were very successful financially. And that went on. I think we operated like that for almost eight years. And then I had an opportunity to a longtime client who had been with me basically since the beginning asked me to come in as a chief learning officer. So they were going through a tremendous transformation. And they, since that time, the transformation was successful. They have exploded in growth. It's an electrical contracting company, just absolute amazing growth. But they needed to be retooled. So Mm -hmm. reconfigured from mom and pop shops to an enterprise. And uh, they wanted a learning foundation and a learning organization. So I was able to go in and help them with that. I kept a few clients. I found jobs, uh, helped all my employees find jobs, took an employee or two with me, and then kept uh, five clients on the side with the permission of the company that I was working with. And uh, with the intention of always going back to my firm, probably because it was my calling. I had always felt it was my calling, but I also felt very compelled to help this client because I knew their story and I knew what was at stake for them and all their employees. And so I came back to Inspired uh, three years later, two and a half, three years later, kept the client that I had gone to work for as well at that time. And uh, I realized I really didn't want employees because I was spending so much time those prior years leading employees that I wasn't spending as much time as I wanted with clients. So this time I set up a different model and now the people who work at Inspired Training Institute with me they are running their own businesses. So they, the model is kind of that of, for simplicity's sake, a franchisee or a licensee, if you will. And we work together seamlessly as a team, work moves between us. Uh, often we're all working at the same client doing different work. So I'll work with the executive team, perhaps. Mandy will work with the frontline leaders and Deb will work with mid-level leaders or something, whatever it may be. 
Um, but right now there are three of us and um, I believe there's another individual coming on the team within the next two years. She wants to move through retirement and uh, retire from where she is right now. She's a physician, so it's important to her to uh, finish out that career. And meanwhile, we're working together and developing her to become an executive coach. And uh, we're all doing very well. And Deb and Mandy have grown so tremendously over the last seven years. It's been exciting to watch them grow. So at this point, um, we are primarily doing coaching, all levels of coaching, mm -hmm. uh, leadership coaching, executive coaching, and career coaching. And then we do a lot of team intervention work. We also do some curriculum development, which used to be a staple of ours. And uh, now we only really do it when we're with a longtime client. And it's something we can do to reinforce some of the coaching we've done or memorialize and spread some of the coaching that we've done. Um, so we're doing pretty much all things organizational development, but we tend to have uh, larger clients that are longer term and we move around. The goal is always to work ourselves out of a job and not create dependency on us. However, when there's uh, when you have success in areas, then they want to replicate it in different areas. So you're standing up several different functions or departments or businesses within the enterprise. Um, but it's been very rewarding. Recently, I have brought on and I, I've told you before when we've spoken before, Casey, I'm no longer accepting new clients personally. My team is, but my dance card is so full. And then I violated my own rules so we can have a lecture about boundaries maybe later because <laughs> two little startups, um, one technology and one in healthcare, uh, individuals I know from a long time of living in this area have asked me to help them launch. And you know, you can't say no to helping somebody launch their dreams. So. I do have two uh, startups that I'm working with, and it's such a lovely juxtaposition to corporate enterprises to watch them staff and develop people. So it's it's been so fun. I'm enjoying this part of my career here in my 50s. This is lovely. It's so much fun when you find your passion zone and you, oh, you, you don't really work a day in your life. Agreed. I, I, I'm absolutely loving it. So I, I do have these rules I create for myself, like, you sure. know, don't take on any more clients. Um, and sometimes I realize that's because I'm trying to manage workload, which is forever an issue for me. Um, but on the other hand, I want to do the things I enjoy. So that's this constant balancing act. I think that most of us doing things we love are dealing with at all stages of our career. So that's, that's where I am. Well, yeah. and that's a good segue into my next question because you do you provide career coaching to people at all stages in their career. What kind of support do job seekers benefit the most from? I think job seekers benefit the most from very objective, unbiased, honest feedback about their resume, about their interviewing style, skills, about the way they're going after a job, about their LinkedIn profile, mm -hmm. about all of those things. And and you're not going to get that from you know Uncle Mike or mom or a sibling uh, or even a close friend. And I really think it's worth getting if you need to pay a coach or somebody to help you um, or a recruiter or whomever who can help guide you on that process with objectivity and, and an investment, care for your success, genuine care. But I do think that if, if you do not receive that feedback, the opportunity for misstep or the opportunity to keep repeating a mistake and not knowing it is there. Mm -hmm. And I also think there's, there's, I don't wanna call them tricks, but there's advice that 
um, an objective resource can offer you around your interview materials, mm -hmm. you know, uh, things you bring with you, the types of questions you ask. Um, and I also think that we have a tendency at times to be more honest with somebody who isn't too close to us about what it is we're looking for and what we want. I think uh, it's, especially if we're younger, there's often a lot of shoulds kind of embedded within us about what mom wants us to be, what this yep. person wants us to be or that person. And when you're talking to an objective unbiased person, they can maybe work you through your value system. And you know, what, what are your values? What stage of character development are you in? All of these things can influence what you might be looking for at that time. So I just think it's worth the money and it's gonna accelerate your ability to find what you're looking for and find the right fit for what you're looking for. So you said something that I wanted to kind of, you said a lot that I could bring out, but there was one thing in particular that I think a lot of people do. And you said, you some people feel like they do things that they should do. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you know, that is such a guilt word. And it's, Isn't it? yeah. if, if you should do it, that means you don't really want to, you're only doing it because somebody said you should, right? But if yeah. you want to do it, that's an entirely different energy that you bring to the table. And I don't know if you've heard this before, but somebody told me once, quit shouldn't all over me. Yes. <laughs> we tell people they're shouldn't all over themselves. Exactly. Yeah. I teach people there's, you can, in any sentence, you have the option to use the word should replace it with could, because should implies judgment, could implies options. I should work for a bank. I could work for a bank. Mm -hmm. So replace should with could and you're opening up exploration. It, the longer, if you keep the word should in there, exploration is closed. Yep. And, and it might not even be your own desires that you're following. That is so, you'd so have good. To there. So how, what do you recommend when people say I need to? Because I think that's just as much of a guilt word too. Yeah, I have to and I need to. Yes. And then I'll say there's a difference between need and want. And, and you don't have to do anything but pay taxes and die. So <laughs> walk me through this. You know, help me understand why you're using the word need. Where is that coming from? And many people just correct themselves. They're like, well, I guess I would like to, or I want to, or it's my desire to. And I'm going, okay, that's great. That empowers you. So I just try to remind them where their power is. And that's all any development is, is it's trying to remind a person where their power is. Yes. And then teach them where they're... And the, and the whole thing is the words you use are so important because it's shaping your limbic system is listening to it. Yep. It's, it's like a, a voice activated recorder and everything you say is truth to it. And that's the data it uses to make future decisions. So when you should or you need or you have, that's what you're conditioning yourself to believe. And you are reducing options. You're reducing freedoms for yourself. And why would you intentionally do that? You know, one of my mentors once told me that if, if, if someone put a megaphone up to my head and could hear what I was saying to myself, they would probably, you know, commit me somewhere because <laughs> we do, we talk to ourselves so horribly. I mean, we, yes. some of the things we say to ourselves, we wouldn't say to our worst enemy. Yes. So, oh, I would agree. And, and that I believe influences even those thoughts, not just what you say, those thoughts can influence that limbic system as well and impact how you view the world. You get to choose how you view the world. Agreed. You get to choose how you view yourself. I agree. And, and if I may, 
Yes. I absolutely love your book. And I would say that you hit on the stuff in there. Yeah. I mean, you're hitting on the mind mapping. You're hitting on raise your awareness of these internal conversations and your internal dialogue and internal critic. Pay attention yep. and adjust if you need to. It's a hard habit to break if you've done it your whole life. Yeah. It really is. But it's worth doing. I, I think any personal development work, I'm, I'm such a personal development junkie, and it's not that I, I'm trying to tell other people what to do, but I'm like, you're missing out. I promise you, you're missing yeah, out. Yeah. This is so much bigger than what we think it is. Yeah, I agree with you. So, okay. So what kind of support do people that are further along in their career typically mm -hmm. benefit from? Like somebody like me. Yeah. So further along, the people that I'm coaching who are more seasoned in their careers, I, there's, it's so, gosh, you know, there's probably categories. And if I took the time, I could probably categorize it for you. But I would say there's one um, group of people who are still needing self-awareness. They're mm -hmm. still needing to discover um, their own gifts and talents. And they still have the option of learning more about what they're capable of and what drives them. So there's there are some people who even very successful people who make it into their 40s and 50s and haven't done that work. And so I love setting those people free. It's a huge mm -hmm. passion of mine. Uh, there's another group of people who are stalled later in their career. And so then you start doing values alignment work. Then you start working with them on character development and where are you and what does that mean to you? And now that you know where you are, where do you want to go from here? How do we align these parts of you? What's changed from when you were younger? And then there's a group of people, and I seem to be working with many people who are we're preparing for retirement. We're doing a lot of succession work with several of our clients. And these people trying to have the conversations about what comes next. Maybe, maybe they're two roles away from retirement, but let's kind of look out over the horizon and figure out how we're going to start mapping you. And what does that mean about the decisions you're gonna make for your career? How can you move comfortably into life after this role or life after work? And how do we start to prepare you? Because when you're not prepared, um, it can be very uncomfortable and difficult. I have one gentleman right now, I'm watching him struggle mightily and it's breaking my heart. And this morning, as I was telling you before we got on the air, I have a brand new puppy. She's 10 weeks old, her name is Lulu. So she was chasing our cat, one of our two cats, Myla, up the stairs. And little Lulu chased Myla right to the top of the stairs. And then I said, Lulu, come back down. She can't get down the stairs. Oh, no. And my thought was, I, I eventually save her. I get her. She didn't know our animals were harmed in the story. <laughs> However, all I could think was, oh my gosh, we'll call my client Bob. This is Bob. Bob was striving and striving and just blindly ran up the stairs and now I need him to come back down the stairs to retirement. I need him to settle into himself. Mm. And he has no idea how to come back down the staircase. So I'm looking at my dog going, how do I help Bob come back down the stairs? And I, I'll share the analogy with him when I meet with him next week. But that is a whole other segment of coaching for people further along in their careers. And then I would say there's a final category of just people who are struggling to work with difficult people or difficult assignments. And that's kind of classic development stuff. And that's helping them navigate um, those issues, learn new skills, refresh skills that they've learned and long since forgotten and just kind of restoring them so they can be more effective. I'd say that would probably be the fourth category. But I'm dealing with many, many people stuck on the staircase right now. I love that analogy. That is awesome. I mean, and that could be applied to so many other 
areas of, you know, our work life. And um, yeah, that is a great analogy. Probably going to borrow right. it from you. You may, because I mean, think about it. You're climbing. You're just blindly climbing to yeah. get to the top. I want to get to the top. I'm, I'm chasing something, some drive or some goal or something. And then you get there and you don't stay there forever. You don't right. stay in a career until you die. So how are you? <laughs> or even, you know, you, even once you reach that goal, you know, correct. There's I, either another staircase or exactly. you go some other direction. Oh little, my gosh. Could not. Yeah, this is a, I'm going to try and write uh, one of my blogs, one of my inspired blogs on the idea. So I'll send it to you. You yes, might be on please. the mailing list, but I'll send it to you because I'm, I was playing with it and I was thinking when you're running up the staircase, it's fine to do that. Absolutely run up the staircase, but take stock and jot down things. I want to remember to go back to that at some point. I want to remember to spend time doing that. I learned this month or this year that it's important that I do X, Y, and Z, whether that's spend time in nature or I want to stay connected to some of this administrative work because that still turns me on, even though I'm now an executive. You know, whatever it is. Red so there's crumbs. some sort of, yes, leave yourself a trail yeah. to get back on the stairs. So I, and exercise those muscles so you remember how to do that. So I, there's a whole thing here, and maybe you and I will work on another book and we'll <laughs> write a book about the staircase. Rushing well, up the staircase, remember you got to come back down. <laughs> that When you were talking about that, that made me think of my own Lulu moment. So oh, You had a Lulu moment? I, I've got a Lulu moment. I dashed up the stairs. I can't get back down. So we'll have to talk offline about that one. <laughs> okay. It's so I love it. Lulu moment, that's what it's called now. I love it. <laughs> Okay, so in your book, you talk about the buy fable model. Can you explain what that is and how it helps professionals? Absolutely. So the buy fable model is basically it's the seven stages of character development if we choose to use work as a platform in our lives to develop our character. And since we spend so much time at work, it is, and we run into and bounce off of so many different people and situations, it is the perfect environment to develop our character. And I define character as just classic definition, one's mental and moral qualities. So our mental and moral qualities can always be growing, especially when we face challenges and um, hurdles and barriers and even achievements and successes. Those are opportunities to develop our character. And so by fable actually is the acronym and it's the first letter of each of the seven stages. And those stages are beginning, yuckiness, fear, authenticity, boundaries, love, and exit. So if you would go linearly through your entire career, you'd probably move right through all of those. However, you know, people do kind of slide back or step back or get stuck. Some people never make it out of the fear stage, for example, I've witnessed more than once. But each stage has its own moral, uh, if you will, its own focal point. And it's something that I, realized I was doing when I was meeting coaching clients that I, at first, this took me years to figure out that I was assessing character, first of all, because I'm an MBTI and Clifton Strengths junkie. So I assumed that I was um, looking for their type and looking at their strengths, et cetera. And in the end, what I was actually looking at was their character, their mental moral qualities. And so I started to realize that I was assessing which of the seven stages people were in and that was influencing the way I was coaching them. So in terms of how this helps professionals, I would say it helps them if they know what stage they're in, then they know what they should be focused on. They know what they should be trying to grow and how to grow it. So for example, 
the fear stage, and I have a little um, bookmark here that has the seven stages on it. I didn't and, get one of those. Oh, um, I will make sure you get one of those. Isn't it fabulous though? Yes. A little reminder. Um, but the fear stage, the moral of that stage is to be cautious and be thoughtful about how you're interacting with others. And it's a stage where we put up, you know, protective bubbles around ourselves and we try and protect our, our egos and the way people perceive us. And we're freaked out by how maybe mean or unprofessional or um, disrespectful people can be in the workplace. That's all, all stuff we're figuring out. Yes, we're <laughs> figuring all that out at this stage. And if I am working with somebody who's in the fear stage, then I know that I'm going to look at their mental and moral qualities. So mental qualities, their ability to reason and make decisions, um, their ability to, I'm going to pull my list over here because I have an example in mind, um, be resilient and choose their responses. Those are just a few of the mental qualities that make up our character. And what I'll work with them on is if they are dealing with a difficult situation, I will specifically pull out you know, choosing your responses. What are all the ways you could respond to this mm -hmm. difficult person? Let's talk through them. And we talk about reactivity and proactivity. And I zero in, it helps me focus on the mental qualities that they need to develop to pull themselves out of fear. And then I'll also look at some of the moral qualities like integrity. You know, you could also badmouth this person who you know is badmouthing you, but let's talk about integrity, that that is a moral quality. So I'll work with them where they're at and I will pick a couple of mental and moral qualities and develop them from the lens of fear and help them see they can choose to move themselves past the fear stage and then lay out a map of the authenticity stage. So it, it just gives people a sense of placement in their career and their development so they know where they are now and how to move forward from it most effectively. Because if I were coaching you and I realized you were in the fear stage, I certainly can't come and coach you as though you're all the way into the love stage because it won't resonate, nothing will mean anything you wouldn't develop from it. So I've got to meet you where you're at and it's more than workplace skills. It's more than as much as I love temperament and I love strengths. It's more than that. It's deeper than that. And frankly, I fundamentally believe that employers, they're, I don't want to say an obligation, but I think they have an opportunity to help develop the character of the people who work for them. Just as I think employers have an opportunity to demonstrate corporate citizenship and, and, and great character in their corporate citizenship. So this is one way to do that by talking character in the workplace and trying to not just develop a good company, but good people within it. Well, and I think that that is so important. And, but I think also it begins with me, right? It begins Absolutely. with me. And so, and I yes. can tell you, you know, when I started letting go of, if that person's angry, what, at me, how does that make me feel? Instead of worrying about why, I'm trying to make sure I'm wording this correctly, instead of worrying about if they're angry at me or why they're angry at me, I push that back on them. You know, if yep. I can look at myself and know that I didn't do anything, I'm not mad because they're mad at me. I just know I didn't cause it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So. And so two quick things on that. No one can make you angry. You know, you choose your feelings. Nobody can make you feel anything. You choose. You can say that behavior is upsetting to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel badly about that, but he made me mad. No, he did something. You're mad. 
those are two, you chose that, you could choose a different reaction. And I think the second thing is, and, and you articulated it perfectly, we really need to give people the space and grace to have their own emotions. If yeah. they're mad, please stop trying to figure out a way to take it personally and, and own somebody else's anger or upset. Please give them the space and the grace. They're entitled to their own emotions. You don't need to step in or make it about you. Let them, let them work through it. And I tell leaders that as well, when they need to have an uncomfortable conversation with an employee, you know, they're going to be upset. You can't avoid A, this conversation, it needs to happen. And B, you can't avoid the fact that they're gonna have an emotional reaction. Please give them the space and the grace to have that emotional reaction, that they're gonna be fine. You're, you're, you might hurt them, but you're not harming them. There's a big yes. difference. It's gonna hurt. It won't harm them. Be a leader, do your job. And it and might just them help them. Stuff. It usually does, <laughs> amen. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> you know, I was having a conversation earlier today um, with one of my candidates and they were talking about how much they hated their job and the, or not that they hated their job, but that they weren't getting the level of support that they'd hoped that they would get there. And my and I, my first question was, have you told them? And absolutely. And the answer was no. And I'm like, look, if you don't address the situation here, you're gonna find that pattern happening over and over and over again, and you're not gonna be happy. Yes. So you've got exactly to right. try to fix it here, have that difficult mm -hmm. conversation. If that doesn't work, then reconsider your options, but you gotta fix it here first. Yeah, you know, you had asked me the question about um, somebody, if they're unhappy in their, uh, or unmotivated in their current job, what do they do or what can they do? Um, and I would say exactly what you just said, and I, I talk about that also in my book, is if you are unhappy or unmotivated in your current job, like the person you're talking about, um, then how are you going to turn that into a personal development academy? If you're already knowing that you're probably leaving and this person obviously is working with you and looking around, great, then you have nothing to lose by trying new skills, like telling people what you really would like and what would help inspire you at work or what would make your job easier. You have nothing to lose by trying to establish healthier boundaries or having the difficult conversations or trying different techniques to grow your character and your mental moral qualities. So I try and tell people, you know what, is it a lousy job or is it me? Yes, the answer to that question is yes. All jobs have lousy elements and it's also you. You get to decide how this is gonna be for you and you can turn it into a growth opportunity for yourself, whether you choose to stay or go. And I usually am able to talk people into, before you start applying elsewhere, if you could do anything, if you could act any way you want, if you had the courage and the bravery, courage is a moral quality, um, to do anything you want, what would you do? What would you say? How would you handle yourselves? And they'll tell me all these amazing things. And I'll say, okay, so your job is to do that for one month. And then we'll talk about whether or not you want to leave. All those things you just listed, I want you to do them for one month. And then let's talk. And sometimes, rarely, at the end of that month, they're like, yeah, I'm still out. Like, this this place is, mm -hmm. is hell and I'm out. And I'm like, okay, hey, but what did you learn? And then we'll take an inventory. And they're like, I did. You know, this actually felt good to say this. And I handled myself pretty well. Or I didn't handle it very well, but it felt good. So I got to figure that out. I'm like, well, let's keep practicing here while we're looking. You know, keep working on that. Use it as an opportunity to grow. This is your own personal development academy. 
Go nuts. I, I love how you call it your own personal development <laughs> academy. So I want to really quickly, because I love this book, um, is this a lousy job or is it me? And I think that, you know, what, you, what you've been talking about, what motivates people and, you know, can you just really quickly give us some tips on what, um, how people can feel more motivated at work when they're not happy? Just, just something in a nutshell, something we can do right now. Uh, more motivated at work if they're not happy. What I would like them to do right now is to make a pro and con list about what they like or don't like about their job. They're unhappy, make a pro and con list. And then I want you to go down the con list and I want you to figure out, uh, first of all, yay for the pros. Oh, I have pros, there are pros. I didn't think there were pros. Um, look at the con list. Okay, can I address that? What can I do differently? Um, do I need to set a boundary there? Um, am, am I actually helpless here or is there something I can do? So I want you to be thinking about what are the resources available to me here to change this? Do I need to set a boundary? What are the options for me to improve these cons? Um, I, because I'm wanting people to lean into their own power. I'm wanting people to um, overcome because part of feeling unhappy is you start to feel like a victim or you adopt some learned helplessness perspectives. And so if you could look at the pro and con list, and even if you could find one or two things on the con list and go, why am I letting that crappy situation ride? I'm going to, I'm going to say something, you know, and then maybe talk to a mentor or talk to somebody to figure out how to say it well, if you haven't done it before, but take action on a con or two and just do it. Just make the pro and con list, pick one or two of the cons and choose to take action on them. You know, outcomes be damned. Let go, let go of attachment to the results. Just lean into you and love on you enough to do this and do that. Just do that. And then if that works and it takes you even a smidge out of the unhappiness, then I want you to keep looking at this pro and con list and updating it. Make an appointment with yourself, a date night, once a month at least, if not more frequently, and ask yourself, am I happy? What's helping me add happiness? What's not? And keep this going and keep looking at it and keep visiting it and keep adding more, more and more power to yourself. And if at some point, you know, the, you, it gets so lopsided on the cons and you've tried all the things that you could try and you've used all the resources you can, then maybe you have some sort of cutoff planned. If it gets to this, then I'm looking elsewhere or then I'm doing something else. But I think empower yourself with action and empower yourself with a plan. And if need be, even design your exit strategy, but leave well, don't yes. leave badly, leave well. Never burn bridges for networking reasons we just talked about. So very true, for sure. Yes. So, oh man, I think that is a perfect place for us to move into our VIP questions. Yes. Just love on yourself. So yeah, um, nobody's gonna love you more than you do. So That's not right. even your mom, sorry. That's right. That is right. Well said. Sorry, mom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So starting with our VIP questions, if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? All right. So your producer gave me this ahead of time, these three questions. So I had a moment to think about this and I told my husband, I would, well, cause <laughs> I have to explain my thinking. I am an ENFP, so I'm all about people. So I'm taking humans. So my three things are my husband and my daughter, and then we're gonna need to populate Mars. So I'm letting her bring her husband, Craig. 
So my oldest stepson is in um, Germany, saving the world. So he should keep doing that. My youngest stepson can take care of all our animals here and keep them safe. So that's the plan. And my husband's like, okay, so you want to bring people instead of things, but why wouldn't you bring like Elon Musk or somebody who can help us develop Mars? We don't. I'm like, well, Craig, my son-in-law, he's an engineer, you know, he can help. And I said, well, I'm just one of the first colonists. I think everybody else will bring all that stuff. <laughs> I'm just going to bring people. <laughs> So that's an ENFP rationalization for those of you who know Myers-Briggs for why I'm bringing the people I want. And I love that we're both ENFPs. So we get each other. We're like, that's why I know exactly why you do that. (laughs) Yes. That's awesome. Okay. Next question. What is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? You know, and, and you've talked to Pilar, so you know that morning rituals are so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have so many. And after reading her amazing book, it even grew longer. But it's like making my bed and, and working out and brushing my teeth and drinking water, all huge. But I think the one thing that sets me up for success is loving on my family. Mm-hmm. So my husband and our animals, um, that's who lives in this house now, we're empty nesters. And I think what that does, just a good morning kiss with my husband and snuggling on all the animals, it gives me perspective. It just gives me perspective because I have workaholic tendencies and I'm just always an activator, go, go, go. And I need that moment of grounding with what matters most in order to be successful. Because the other thing that can happen when you're a workaholic is you can get really caught up in your ego and yourself. And, you know, I'm out there doing this for me and here I go. And when you're holding people and animals that you love, that's not why you're doing everything. It's not all about you and your ego. So it's very grounding for me. That's the thing that makes me more successful. I love that. I I really do. And I love how you said that it gets you out of your ego, you know, And, and it's true. You know, successful people like you, it would be really easy for you to just go, yeah, I don't have time for you. You know, yeah. <laughs> little people. Yeah. Yes. Call my people. Yeah. They'll call yours. <laughs> so. Okay. My final question for you. If your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? Taking the lead, a story of working, healing, and growing myself and others. I can absolutely see that. For sure. I got a subtitle in there. You like that? Yes, I do. I do. And I actually brought a copy of your book today. So I really want to encourage everybody to go get this book because I I just think it's going to help you so much throughout life and your career. So Terry, how do people find you? Um, You can find probably my firm's website is the best way. That would be inspiredtraining.net or inspiredtraininginstitute.com, but inspiredtraining.net would be the easiest way. And there's email, contact, and phone numbers on there if anyone wants to reach me. Awesome. And are you active on LinkedIn if people want to connect with you and follow you there? Yes. Okay. I'm active on LinkedIn. um, And you can also find me on other social media, but I think LinkedIn is the one I probably check the most. So feel free to message me. Awesome. Terry, I just have one last thing to say to you. What's that? You are a VIP. Thank you, Casey. And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.